Well, greetings to each one of you. It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. I truly enjoyed the worship time of the breaking of bread. And I um, want to welcome you at this time to the preaching of God's Word. Welcome you to, to you, those who aren't usually here. Uh, glad to have you. So I want to go back to, if you want to open your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians 6. And we want to come back here to this passage of Scripture concerning our, the armor of God. Let's begin reading in Ephesians 6 in verse 10. If we could have the congregation to please stand while we read the Scripture. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we humble ourselves before you, knowing that, Lord, you, are, you have spoken your word and your truth is timeless. Lord, it transcends all generations, and all groups of people. And so this morning, as we come before you, we come before you, Lord, needing to hear what you will speak. We ask, Father, that you would open our hearts to the truth and open our minds to know your word, and give us grace, Lord, to love your truth and to accept it, embrace it, and put it to our and in, in, in use it in our everyday lives. And remember what you are doing for us and in us. We thank you again for all you have done for us. Just pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> Well, we are looking here today uh, at the second message of this passage. We looked last time at the strength to stand firm, and we looked at the from verses 10 through 13. We're going to kind of overlap a little bit, and starting in verse 13, we're going to take 13 and 14, and we want to uh, begin with not the strength to stand firm, but equipped to stand firm. 
Not only has God given us strength, but he's given us means of strength, means of grace, the, 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 the mechanism by which, the spiritual mechanism, if I can say it that, by which God enables us to stand successfully against Satan. If you're a Christian this morning and you're here, you have entered a battlefield. You have entered a place of, of war. Not only have you entered a place of war concerning uh, your personal life, but there is a huge assault by Satan this morning on every child of God. I don't think we understand what it means to be a Christian until we understand what it is that Christ faced on the cross. What Christ endured was not the physical. Yes, he did endure the physical, but, but much more than that was the spiritual assault of Satan upon his soul, attempting to, to bring him to despair. And even in the end, he, he knew that his father turned his face from him because he was bearing the sin of all of his children. So he, it is because of his death that we have the equipment, we have the ability to stand firm. He provided these things for us. Now in verse, verse uh, 13, we have the command, he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God. In that, the, the, the Greek word for whole armor of God is panoplia, which means the, everything that's provided for you. If you were to enlist in the, in the military of the United States Army and you were, you were to make it in the military, they would give you the, the arms that you need to, to, to fulfill the, 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 the task that they set forth for you. Well, Jesus is no different. He brings, about, he brings to us the whole panoplia, the whole armor of God. Because we need it for the battle that we are to come, that we are, that we are in. So therefore, it is incumbent upon us that we do not say, well, I don't like this part of God's word. I don't like what it takes to do this. We're not here to pick and choose. We're enlisted. We're not volunteers to, in, in that manner. We're enlisted. God has said, this is what you need. And when we get into the thick of the fight, thank God we're enlisted and thank God for his armor, for his protection, for his grace. We need it. We desperately need it today. We find that today we are living in a, in a, in a time where many have once professed faith in Christ and have turned around, and we've heard, in the, especially in the last three years, how that many are denouncing their faith, they're, they're abandoning the truth of God's word, they're saying God is, is not for real, his word is, is a farce, and they are going their own way. Many of them do so with gladness. Well, the truth of the matter is, they have succumbed to the attack of Satan. They have fallen 
to the deceitfulness of sin. They have not used the armor of God. Let me just put it this way. This armor that we have here is 100% successful 100% of the time. We are, we are getting, we are, we are, we are, we are bringing to ourselves a no-fail armor. The problem is, when we fail, it's us. It's our, it's, it's our problem. It's not the problem with the, with the Word of God. It's not a problem with the helmet of salvation. There's no problem with the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth or the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's no fault in those things. And so what we want to do is we want to look at not only are we, not only we, we have strength, given strength to stand strong, we're equipped to stand strong, and we're given energy to stand strong. We want to look at that toward the end of the passage. But as we look today, we want to take the, uh, the preparation to stand strong, first of all. He says in verse, in verse 13, he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. And it means that the, that the attack is coming at us and we, we must stand up against it. We must not cave into it. Many people think that this is a thing, well, if, if, if somebody comes and wants to argue with me on what the gospel is and wants to argue with me about my faith and accuse me that I need to be able to shoot darts back at them using the scripture. But that, that's not where, that is part of the battle, but that's not really where the battle is. The battle is in your own mind. Battle is in your own heart. The battle is really the effort of Satan to undo what Christ has done. Uh, we are commanded to stand firm, and it's an expectation of God that we stand firm. This is the third time, actually, here, by the time we come to verse 14, it's the third time in this passage that he commands us to stand firm in this, in this section of the chapter. Standing firm is the normal expectation for the Christian. God expects his people to stand firm. And he expects his people to stand firm because he's equipped them with the, with the necessary tools to stand firm. Satan is, re, is attacking God's people and assaulting them with such strength that it requires God's strength to overcome him. That's the thing we must understand. You're not going to face the attacks that we have today, the deceitfulness of sin that's, that's abounding today, the, the, the things that are placed at our doorsteps and in our, can we say, in our pockets on our cell phones. Those things are not going, we're not going to stand in that day that those things come if we're just, if all we have is an exterior shell of good things. It must be that these things are a part of us. They, they embody us. We, we embody these things. We take them to us. <clears throat> and this is why we stand firm. Because there is an all-out assault today, and there always has been for the people of God. You will need God's strength. You will need 
his equipment and you will need his energy in order to be victorious. Without them, they w- we will fail. So the, f- the first thing he says here in verse 14, stand therefore, and that really means stand prepared, be prepared, stand with readiness. You know, the soldier many times has to, has to be ready. He's not always out here engaging the enemy, but he has to be ready always to engage the enemy. There's always a need to, to be ready. And he's calling on us to be prepared because every assault by Satan is intended by him to cause the believer to sin or to fail at doing good or to be ineffective as a witness for Christ. Satan comes with the intent to do to, to either cause you to sin or cause good to fail or cause your witness to be of no effect. The sad part is he's made inroads into the what we see as the church today and so many have fallen to these things. It does not change the truth that God is 100% successful when his armor is, is put into place and when we have Christ and Christ's power is there. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 4. We're going to keep our finger here. Let's turn to Matthew 4. And I want to look at the, I want to look at the words of Christ, at the, uh, the temptation of Christ here. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. This is the last temptation. We are to be prepared as Christ was prepared. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, (coughs) pardon me, (coughs) you shall not tempt the Lord your God. (coughs) Jesus is enduring an onslaught of temptations from Satan at the end of a period of fasting. And Satan here is presenting him with probably the most uh, deceptive of his temptations, and let us notice what he says. Satan, the devil, comes to him, takes him of all places to the temple, the place where worship of God is being held, a place where it's right to be, it's right to worship God there. He takes him to this place, and he says, pardon me, he says, throw yourself down off of here. For it is written, He's going to give his angels charge over you. And he says this because he is trying to get Jesus to come under his command. But Christ, notice he was prepared. He did not just accept Satan's version of the, uh, and his usage of Scripture. He said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And we must be prepared like Jesus That when Satan wants to use Scripture, what seems right, to bring us into what is wrong, we need to be willing to sort that out. 
We have the truth so ingrained in us that there is that there is an understanding of what God intended by what he said. We go beyond just the words on the page. We look at what is God telling us and what does he want. And when that is happening, we are well on our way to be prepared. Because when God's intent is obeyed, it's always successful. God doesn't lose a fight. He never has. The reality is that when we take our way, even if we use the word of God to take our way, we lose because it's our way. In the end, it's not God's way. We must stay, we must stay full of God's word and we must rightly divide the word of truth. That is what it takes to prepare. This needs to be going on in our life all the time. This needs to be an ongoing thing. This needs to be, be the, the normal for us. Well, not only must we be prepared, but we must be equipped. We must be equipped to stand. When we, if we, if we, we're not going to turn there, but if we would look in Acts 16, we remember the story where Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. And it was about midnight, and they were taken in for their faith. They were beaten because they had cast, Paul had cast this demon out of a, out of a, uh, a servant uh, lady who was, who was making a lot of money for her masters. But in the middle of that time where they were, where, where the gospel got them thrown in prison, the apostle Paul and Silas were singing hymns which would be the Psalms, that would have been the hymn book that they had, and were praying in the midst of that prison cell. Rather than a defeated, rather than a defeated end, God took the, the weapons that they had and turned them around for many new beginnings. The, the, we know what happened. The, the, the earthquake shook the prison doors open. And the jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul Silas said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And he's saying, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had heard their singing. He had heard their praying. He knew they were who they were praying to. And he came to faith that night. And there were many new beginnings because his household also came to faith. God, you see where God took what, should, what, what in our eyes was a defeated end. And because they had the word of God in their arsenal, and the hymns were in their hearts, and they were, they were praying and seeking God's face, he flipped the situation on its head and brought about mighty salvation in that town. God will not always let us out of the physical situation in this manner, but he uses it for his glory, even if we're taken to our death in this, in this, in this manner. Satan intended this for evil, but God used two equipped men for his glory that night. We are also to be prayerfully bold. That's what it means to prepare. He's, he's telling us that, that we're to be strong, we're to be... We're to be 
this, this holy boldness does not come from a brashness, does not come from a willful harshness or a willful strength. It comes from being full of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Praying, being prayerfully bold. It comes from the Holy Spirit energizing us to declare the word of truth. In John 19, let's turn to to verse 36 and 37. John 19, we have an example from the Lord Jesus Christ here where he was was bold uh, to speak even at the point of his death, even at his trial. And Pilate is here He's, he's being held on trial, and Pilate is here actually ridiculing him, making a mockery of him for the Jews' sake. And let's, let's look at verse 36. <clears throat> In verse 36, I'm sorry, I think I've got the wrong one here. Okay. It's in verse, in verse, in chapter 18. <clears throat> Jesus answers him. Well, let me, let's begin in verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? My own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said that to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I come into the world. I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Notice that Jesus was bold in the fact that he was willing to say in front of Pilate, who was, by the way, the, the one in charge there, saying, I am the king. You say it, I am a king, yes. For this cause I was born to bring truth, the very thing Pilate despises by the next words, he says, I came to bear witness to the truth. And that's why it is important that we are prepared with the truth, that we're prepared to give an answer to the truth. That's what it means to be strong. That's what it means to be equipped and strong is that we give an answer to the truth. Jesus was our perfect example in this. So not only should we be, are we to stand strong, but secondly, we are strapped on the belt of truth. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6 again. Let's notice that he says, Stand therefore having girded, your waist with truth. He doesn't say, here's a belt, put it on. He says, you need to stand here already girded. Meaning that you need, to, you, need to be, you need to have this on, or you do have it on if you are a Christian. It's as though you're looking back saying, this is who you are. Saying you are girded with the truth. <clears throat> and in this girding of the truth, I'm... I believe the Apostle Paul possibly was standing chained to, or was maybe sitting writing, but he was in house arrest in Rome, and he was chained to a Roman soldier. So he, had, he was able to look at this soldier, and he was able to see the pieces of armor, and he brought an analogy that everybody knew. 
When somebody saw a Roman soldier, they knew what he was talking about here. They understood. They saw them all the time. And so when he talks about strapping on the belt of truth, there's a belt that they're given. And the importance of this is that it's the central part of what they have. It's the central part of their equipment. We are, as Christians are also equipped this way. But the belt was, was to pull the loose ends of his garment up. He would pull them up. He would tuck them under his belt. He would cinch his belt. And it would hold his garments together so that he could move, so that he could fight, so that he could work. And not only did it hold his clothing together, but he, would, he was able to hook a small shield onto it. And not only that, it also connected, it also held together his, his uh, it held his sword to him. And so there were, it was, it was, the, it was the, the central part of what he wore. And he says, uh, he says here in, in, in Luke 12, verse 35, he says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Jesus is talking about the, uh, the, the, Ten virgins, the five, after he after he after the parable, he says, Let your waist be girded. That meant get ready for, for battle or get ready for work. Get ready to move. And so the importance of this belt was they had to have it. They didn't have it, they didn't have anything. Folks, this is what the truth does for the Christian. It's that which pulls everything together. God has is a God of truth. He is, his word is truth. His salvation is a salvation of truth. The, the, the testimony of Christ was that I came to this world to bear witness of the truth. That's Christ's own testimony before Pilate, before he died. So the necessity of girding on the truth is of utmost importance. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So in a, in a sense, there's a putting on of Christ. There's a girding us about with the person of Christ. This is why, this is why the armor doesn't fail. Because it's heavenly armor. It's the armor of Christ. It's Christ being our what pulls us together. You know, it is Putting on Christ's truth is not only given to us at the new birth, but we are to commit ourselves to him in, as, in discipline as we go. The, the belt holds everything together. It brings our, our mind, our understanding, and the things that we need, uh, puts them together in one place. <clears throat> it is the truth, friends, that we, by which we are able to stand. It is the truth that gives us the, the, the foundation. And if you please, the belt is that, that basis, that foundation, the truth. Let's look at John 17. We'll look at John 17. We'll look at verse 11. <clears throat> John 17, Jesus is here praying, and he is praying to his Father. And as he's praying... As we notice in verse 11, he says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. This is, this is Christ interceding with his Father for his disciples. 
putting on Christ's truth is knowing who we are in Christ. And that's what he's saying here. I pray that you would keep them, that would keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is saying that we are given to Christ, we are given to him by God, and we're united to him and to the Father in an eternal bond. As we think about putting on Christ, it is knowing that we belong to him. We are not our own. And that we were given as a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ from the Father. In fact, if we, if we read the next verse, he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. And what is he simply saying? He's saying, I want them to have my joy in themselves. That's the union that we have with Christ. And it's essential that we know that we are united with him as we go to battle. If, if we don't know that we are united with Christ, it is going to be hard for us to, to, to be successful in standing against him, the, the Satan, in the evil day. In verse 17 of this of chapter 17 here, notice he says, uh, I'm sorry, let's back up here to verse 14. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Well, what is the truth? What really is he talking about? Uh, the truth here that he's talking about is the reality that in the way God sees it. The reality that God sees. You see, when we say we, we see things from our perspective, it's from the earthly perspective. When Jesus is praying for them, he's not praying for them necessarily that, Lord, I just wish that, that they wouldn't have any more troubles. You know, I just wish that, you know, they, they, would, uh, they would never have to have problems here on this earth. They would always feel good. And that, you know, I don't want to see them die. It's not what he said. He said, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. I'm not praying that you keep them from the tribulation and the battle. I'm praying that you keep them from the evil one. That's the truth. That's the truth that we need to remember. This is where we are. He's not going to say that, we can't, that we're not going to face the trouble and the temptation and the trial. Jesus is in the midst of, is in the midst of trouble here. He's facing and fighting Satan in a manner that is unreal. And he's saying, we're going to follow him. We're going to face the same kind of thing. But he's saying to the Father, he's asking the Father, keep them by your truth. Your word is truth. You see, we have to come back to the word of God to see what reality is. That's, what, that's why we need the truth. 
That's why the truth needs to be on us and in us. Because we need to see the world the way God sees it. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. It is part of our identity. We're preserved from the evil one from prevailing over us by the prayer of Jesus Christ. In, in Luke 22, in verse 31 and 32, we're not going to turn there, but Judas, I mean Simon, came, Peter, came to Jesus, and, or Jesus said, Jesus came to Peter, and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. And now, if we think about this, wheat is nothing for us. We can sift wheat with no problem. And the truth of the matter is that we are nothing for Satan outside of Christ. He can sift us like wheat. He can do what he wants to. But what was the difference between Peter and Judas, if you please? Christ said, but I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. And when you are strengthened, when you... So much when you have repented, strengthen your brethren. And so Christ, Christ's truth is the truth of Christ here is that he has prayed for us. He's praying for us right here. And he's praying that not that we would just be just have all our troubles taken away. And not that we would just suddenly have all our pain gone. And not that we just suddenly be able to continue life here the way we want it, but that we be kept from the evil. One. That's at the heart of this whole of this whole prayer is that we would be sanctified and kept from sin. Do you realize that Christ endured temptation and yet did not sin? You know, we, we endure temptation. How long does it take before we give in? How far can you go before you sell out? The harder, the, the, the longer you go, the harder it is to, to not give in. You see, Satan wants to ramp the pressure up, and Christ never gave in. He took the full pressure of Satan trying to convince him to give up. God wants us to know that. He has called us by His name. And we are His. We identify with Him. And the truth is that He is keeping us from the evil one. Verse 18, He is sending us into the world. He said, just as I have sent... You, just Father, just as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. He doesn't say, well... Look, we got to put up a fence here and keep the sheep inside the fence. He says, I'm sending them out into the world. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves, Christ said. But he says, the, pro the thing is, I, don't, I pray for you that your strength will not fail. You are not going because you're a part of the world. You're going out there as a non-entity of the world. As someone who's not of them. Somebody who doesn't, who's an alien to them in many ways. You're going out there different from them. But I'm sending you there. I'm driving you there. So that you can be my witnesses. 
So putting on the belt of truth means that we understand who we are. The reality that God has, what God has done for us and who we're called to be. There's a part of the truth here that, that really probably identifies the Christian in his entirety. And that is that he is sincere and genuine. The genuine Christian, the genuine believer, is the one who has the truth. It's the falsehood. It's the fakeness. It's the showiness. It's the, it's the facade. It's the charade that marks the unbeliever. And that's why Jesus said when he comes down to it, you should, not be, you should, you should beware of, the, of, of wolves in sheep's clothing. Because inside the truth is that inside that cover of looking like a shepherd, they're a wolf. And so if you're going to stand in the day of truth, in the day of battle, you're going to have to stand because of the truth. It's only going to be because that you're a sheep through and through and Christ is gird you about with his truth. You see... As, 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 he, as he did, we commit everything in our lives. Everything is committed to God's truth. We not only commit ourselves to God's truth because of what he has done for us, but because he is coming back for us. There's a, there's a looking forward that, that this truth will keep us from compromise and conformity to the world because we know he's coming back again. We know there's a return Imminent. We knew that any day he could come back. And he wants to find us ready. He wants to find us watching. And for the believer, that's a longing that he has that he would be ready. The truth, the, the lie is what they say in Second Peter, where is the sign of his coming? For since since of old, things have gone on as they are. And he says they forget that. The flood came upon the earth. The the earth stood in the water and out of the water and it was destroyed. The truth is that Christ is coming again. And he says, therefore you watch. Because in that day the earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. The works that are therein will be burned up. And then he says, he brings about the truth. What manner of people ought we to be in all holy Conversation and godliness. What what does that mean? How does that mean that we ought to be living? We ought to be sincere. We ought to be earnest. That's what truthfulness is. If If we are living for the party of today, we're not being true to the to the word of God. If we're living to find the next pleasure down the road. That's not what Christ came to do. He came to prepare us for his second coming. And the truth is that when we are girded with his word, we will understand the gravitas, the seriousness of living for him. 
It will be a drive that enables us to go out and to preach the gospel. It will enable us to be a testimony for him where we are. It will enable us to open our mouth at the, at the given time. It will enable us to not give in to that temptation. You know, the fact that when children are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, daddy and mama aren't looking, and suddenly daddy or mama comes in the door, immediately they all run back to what they can do. They shouldn't be in the cookie jar. As soon as mama comes into the kitchen, they run back to the toys. They know they shouldn't be there. You see, friends, that's the way it is when the Christian is messing around with sin in his life. The return, he does not want to be caught in that sin upon the return of the Lord. The problem is the unbeliever is going to be caught. The unbeliever will be caught in that sin. He doesn't believe in the truth. He's deceived from the understanding that Christ is coming again. This is why this truth calls for us to pursue holiness. This command of the word to be girded with the truth, this command in God's word is a commitment that infects, that affects our entire life. Just like that soldier put on that belt, it affected everything that he did. He's now got a sword. He's now girded up. He's now ready to move. And it affects all of his life. And so the truth affects your life. This is one of those things that Sometimes the truth comes to you, comes to us, and it's in a gentle way. Sometimes it hits us like a Mack truck. But nonetheless, if the truth is in you, and you are in the truth, you will not be the same person that you were in your sin. You can't live a lie and live a truth at the same time. You can't be of the truth and be of the lie at the same time. You are one or the other. Jesus told the Pharisees in that day in John 8, he says, you're of your father the devil. He's a liar from the beginning because they rejected the truth. And let's just, just think about this. One who rejects the truth puts a serious question mark upon his standing in the truth. Because when we reject the truth, we're rejecting Christ. And when we reject Christ, we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in a place of, of, of saying, God, what you said is not necessary for me. And this ought to bring a seriousness and a soberness to our lives. Because how many times do we, do we, we won't say it? But we think it. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not going there. All of your lives, 
all of our lives as believers, they're pulled together with the truth. The truth is where everything hangs on. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, Paul said, our faith is vain. This word, if it's not true, we are done. Might as well go home. But it's because of the truth that we come back and we're blessed with it over and over again. It's because it's true that the same Savior that raised, that same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is the same power that works mightily today in the life of the believer to deliver him from his sin. So I want to ask you today, are you girded about with the truth in your life? Are you bringing more of your life under the control of the truth? You see, we're either under the, the control of the truth or we're in a disarray and disrepair because of a lack of the truth. I remember years ago, I had been struggling with some issues in my life, and this was many years Soon after we were married, I was trying to come to grips with some things in my life. And I remember talking to a brother who had just preached in the church where we were. And I said, here's my problem. Here's where I'm at. I do want to be used by God. I want God to use me in some way. He looked at me. He said, young man, if your ship is sitting in the harbor and it is in disrepair and the sails are full of holes, the boards on the floor are rotting, and the tiller has fallen off. You're of no use to God. And if you leave it that way, you'll sink in the harbor. But he said, you want to be used by God, you've got to get that ship in repair under the truth. It's time to fix what's been wrong. You've got to go to the truth to do it. You've got to ask God to give you what you don't have. And he says, you may sit there for years thinking everything's mended, everything's taken care of, my life is good. He said, but God will one day need a ship to sail and he will call your name. I never forgot it. The truth, my friends, is where we must live. I don't care if we found ourselves in disrepair. I don't care if we found ourselves in disarray. I don't care if, if, if things aren't the way they should be. I don't care if you're, you're, you're living in defeat right now. If you know Christ, the truth is for you to gird up those things. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. If you will just get into the word and the word get in you. You're going to find that the truth will set you free. And so I ask you this morning that as a child of God, do you embrace the truth? While you're his child, he's still removing the remnants of sin. Do you go back and embrace the truth? Even when he brings up things in our life that are uncomfortable and that you don't like, do you go back to the truth? Do you know that Christ has sent you into the world and you're to be a witness of his truth? 
Just talked with a young man the other day whose life was in disrepair and in shambles. And God miraculously got a hold of him. And the truth set him free. And God is using him, has now sent him to other people who are involved in the same thing that he was involved because he can now be a witness of the truth. That's what he's talking about. You're girded up with truth. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you into the world. You're going to be different from the people out there. But I'm sending you because you been girded with the truth you see in actuality we put on the armor but the armor takes a hold of us that's really what happens the armor gets us and moves us the armor is heavenly armor and it has the power to free us from sin well not only Are we to put on the truth, the buckle of truth? But we are to put on the breastplate, the breastplate of faith. The word here to put on the breastplate of faith, I'm sorry, of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, it is literally the word having put on is sinking into It means to be engulfed in. It means to be surrounded with. It literally was the part of the armor that went from the neck to the waist and covered front and back. And it was either chain mail or it was steel. But righteousness, sometimes we have to do, sometimes we have to talk about what something is not before we understand what it is. Many times, we don't even understand the good things of God as we ought. So we explain it by what it's not. Uh, many times, we, we, we have uh, uh, things that are, that are in our lives that, are, that need to be dealt with, and we have to make a decision. Is this... Something that God has given me to keep, or is this unrighteousness? This, unri- this, this, this is a guard of, of Christ's righteousness that is there to, to keep us from the evil one. In Romans 1 verse 18, it sometimes helps us to look at what righteousness is not. And so we, we go to Romans 1 verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, do you see what he is saying here? Unrighteousness is non-righteousness. What God is saying is unrighteous or not righteous. And where does it, how does it prosper? How does it grow? How does it become where where it takes over. It comes that it gets to that place because men suppress the truth. We just got done talking about how that we need to be girt about with the truth. And what's going to happen if you suppress that truth? If you suppress the reality that God has placed in his word for you, what happens when we do that? Unrighteousness comes in. 
But on the other side, when the truth becomes our 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 guide, it becomes the one the thing that binds us together. Then righteousness prospers. Righteousness comes out of that. Of course, righteousness is given by God. True righteousness is the righteousness of Christ given to his children. And if we look at Romans 4, we would find that this is what God, God tells us about Abraham. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness is based on genuine faith. Faith is based on a belief in the truth. And so these build on one another. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an actual progression that the, that, the, that the truth must prosper in us so that righteousness can grow, that righteousness can flourish in our lives. So what is righteousness? Well, righteousness in, this, in the meaning of this word here is, is integrity, purity of life, uprightness, correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. To be righteous is one who as he ought to be with God. Let me say that again. To be righteous, one is who he ought to be with God. Righteousness is what God says, this is right. This is what I am about. This is what God says is right. And so we are made righteous by faith. That's how Abraham was made righteous. But there's another side. There's, there's a continuation of that righteousness. You see, God didn't ask for Isaac before Abraham believed God first. Abraham believed God in Genesis chapter 15, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In Genesis 22, he has, he has a proof of that righteousness when he says, now offer up your only son. And Abraham obediently does what God says. That's righteousness being worked out. We begin righteousness by being a gift of faith. The, that, that we're given that righteousness. But that righteousness becomes evident. It comes out. If it's worked in, it comes out. There's no such thing as being a righteousness that is never seen. Even the thief on the cross was barely saved before his death. And yet he said to his fellow thief, we've, we've deserved this. This man has done nothing amiss. Does that not show you that something has changed in his life from mocking and reviling Christ to, to glorifying him? And then he says, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. This is rightness with God. You see, righteousness is the righteous acts and outflow of the believer that has been something that has been put there by God. Righteousness is like a plant that God gives us and puts it in our hearts and covers us with it. 
It's given us as a shield, as, as, a, as a breastplate. And, it, and it, it develops and it grows and, it, and more righteousness comes out because it's something that was planted within. To put on Christ's righteousness is to make his righteousness our identity. When you saw a Roman soldier coming down the street, the first thing you noticed was what he was wearing. And the, mo- the prominent thing, the biggest part of it, was his breastplate. He is armored up. It protected his vital organs because if you're going to kill this man, you've got to get to his vitals. And he was protected by this breastplate. And that's what it means to be putting on Christ. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For he, and that he is God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he says, put this righteousness on, he's saying, put on Christ. It is Christ who is to be the defense For his children. But not only that, there needs to be a righteousness that is evident coming out of our lives. Part of the protection many times is that God uses the righteous acts that he creates in our lives to protect us from further evil. Abraham went into a country and he compromised his wife's safety and integrity and told the king he was her sister and you know why he did that he said i did not know that there was any righteousness or that god was here i didn't know that the king actually feared god and that he was righteous you see when there's no righteousness in the area you can't you don't know what to expect if there's no righteousness coming out of your life friend you're not saved if righteousness is, is the testimony of your life, it will go before you and protect you from the snare of the evil one. To be identified with Christ means that we are to forsake or to put off the works of the flesh and to put on the righteous armor of light. In Romans 13... He says that we're to put off the works of, di- of night and darkness and put on the armor of the day. And that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, are you clothed with Christ's righteousness today? Do you know what it is to, to live in his righteousness? And if you, if you know what your works are, what are those works saying about what you believe is right? If your works... Are what are you're doing what you believe? Then what are they saying about what you believe is right? Is it the righteousness of God? Or is it your own self-righteousness? Is it something God is doing in you, or is it something you're trying to do to earn something with God? See, again, if we're going to be protected, it must be what God is doing. 
It cannot be our own righteousness. And so he says, put it on. Let it take over. Well, as we close here today, I want to, I want to, uh, I want us to think about what it means to stand in truth and righteousness. To stand in truth and righteousness, they go together. And if you're going to stand, you're going to be going against the flow. You're going to be bucking the current. The world doesn't like truth, and the world doesn't like righteousness. And Satan does not like truth, and Satan does not like righteousness. And I want to ask you, what about you? Where are you going? Where are you going to come out in this battle? The righteousness of Christ upon your life, or are you good enough in your own eyes? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Father, we thank you that you have given us your truth. We thank you for your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, to protect us from the evil enemy. I just pray for each one here today that this would be reality for them, that their union with Christ would be the key to their victory. That they would know you, know your truth, and know the righteousness of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would give us greater understanding yet of what it means to walk in truth and righteousness. In Jesus' name.